for a moment. A man who was in charge and was giving the duty to lead millions of people from captivity in Egypt to a promised land. And he went up on a mountaintop, and when he went on the mountaintop to receive the, the blessings and receive the, the commandments that God was imparting to him, those things that he was supposed to share with the people of Israel for them to follow and for them to, to obey, he, he was as close to the presence of God as you could be. And little did he know that while he was up on the mountaintop, they fashioned a golden calf in the valley below. Because they had given up ever hearing or or seeing or or knowing God again. A golden calf that they would worship and, and that they would be naming as their savior from Egypt. And imagine the anger that Moses would have felt. I can get angry, uh, just to let you know. I have a bit of a temper. I think that's where my, my youngest gets it from. And, and y'all, don't, y'all haven't seen Tinley, I know, in her full force. And we call her full throttle because of the way she is. And, and there are some times when I lose my patience with my one-year-old, not to the point of any abuse or anything, don't worry. But I get angry, and, and I raise my voice. And obviously, you know I have a loud voice. It doesn't take much. I could probably do it without a microphone in this class. I have a loud voice, and you can imagine what it's like, and my wife tells me to quit yelling because I'm loud. And I get angry and frustrated. And I can only imagine how Moses would have felt as he came off that mountaintop after being with God, as close to being with God as you can be, and then seeing them worshiping, bowing down, fashioning this golden calf. I can imagine how angry Moses would have been. But even more, in my mind, my my finite mind, I think about how angry God would have been. And God saw what they did. And he said, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you out. I've done it before, I'll do it again. Imagine what Moses would have thought. Those were his kindred. Those were his families. Those were his friends. You just think his own brother was kind of the leader and the instigator down there as Aaron helped them fashion this golden calf. Imagine how Moses would have felt. Here, think about this too. Jonah. Jonah, of course, was told to go to Nineveh. Go and preach and teach to this wicked, wicked city. Now, I think in our minds we can try and think about how wicked cities are possibly. And imagine God saying, go to this city, preach the word of God so that they would repent, so that they will turn, they will change their lives, or I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. They were so wicked. He didn't want to step foot in that city. And God pretty much says, if you don't repent, I'm going to destroy you. Let's hit a little bit closer to home. While I was in law school, I was on my way with a youth group that I was working with at the Hoover Congregation in Birmingham to a youth rally. And I got a phone call. We were, I remember stopped on the, at a restaurant. It was a Burger King. And I got a phone call. It was my sister. And she had gone to the doctor and had some tests because she had found... Uh, somewhat of a, a lump underneath her, where her lymph node is under her arm. And so they had testing that were done. And, and it was at that point in time that I received the news that my, my, my little sister had lymphoma at the age of, I think she's 22. 
I was angry. I was upset. And I wanted God to do something. And I remember praying immediately when I got off the phone that God would be with her. That God would help her through this cancer. That God would heal her if possible. Now, that story probably hits home to some of you. You've been hit by illnesses. Your loved ones have been stricken with cancer. You, you may have lost loved ones because of those things. And the question that we often ask to God is why? But even more so when we get deeper into it, when we get a little bit deeper, and this lesson's a little more deeper than, than some of our other previous lessons. Do our prayers even make a difference? Can I really, can we really change God's mind? Wow. What a question for God. Uh, And I will tell you, I hope to, as we go through the lesson this morning, parse out a little bit here of, of can we change God? What impact do we have in our Christian lives, our earthly lives, our earthly existence on the mind and the actions of God? Because I think it's very interesting to think about that dynamic. And I will tell you, there is not a cut and dry answer. I have thought about it this whole last week while I was at the beach of how to present this lesson. I thought about it an incredibly amount of time yesterday as I studied and prepared and, and uh, rehashed in my mind how to present this. And, and there's just not an easy way to do it. But I, what I thought the best way maybe to do is to look at this dilemma that kind of arises because that's exactly what we kind of have in our minds when you start digging into the scriptures is this dilemma that kind of arises about whether or not we can influence or impact God's mind. And if you look, there are really four major points that I want to kind of throw out at you. And it's the combination of these four points together that kind of start making us question how can we reconcile these things. And it's very interesting to look at. First and foremost, look at this principle. This is one of the the, um, presuppositions we mentioned in one of our first lessons. And I don't want to delve into this too much if I can avoid it. Uh, This is really a lesson in and of itself. But but God is all-knowing. God is omniscient. So we've got to understand that first and foremost, one of our presuppositions in this class, that God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows things in the past. He knows things that are occurring here in the present. He knows things that are going to come in the future. God is all-knowing. Now, our minds cannot wrap around that, really. I have a hard time remembering what I wore yesterday. I do. And I wear suits every day to, or dress clothes every day to work. And, and uh, I have to ask my wife sometimes, you know, Monica, did I wear this last week to church? Because I don't really want to wear the same thing at church Sunday to Sunday, even though y'all probably wouldn't even care. You wouldn't even know, most of you, if, if I did, wear the same thing every Sunday. But it's because in my mind, I can't remember. I'm so, I've got so many other things on my mind. And clothes is one of the least important things on my list of, of importance. And that's one of the last things that I ever want to remember is what I wore. I can't remember that. How am I supposed to even fathom the the idea that God knows everything that happened to everyone, everywhere, everything in the past, in the present, and in the future? I I can't understand that. Look, you look at the scriptures and you can't help but see the scriptures indicate God knows everything. First John chapter three, verses uh, 19 and 20. By this, we know that we are the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart 
and he knows everything. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His side, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him who we must give an account. And think about the parallels we see in Hebrews chapter, I mean, in Matthew chapter 10, verses uh, 29 and 30, right in there. And in Matthew chapter 10, of course, is Christ speaking to his disciples there. And he talks about the very fact that God knows everything with regard to two sparrows. And says, you know, if God's going to know those things, how much more is he going to know about us? Verse 30 says, even the hairs on our head are all numbered. God knows everything. We can't always understand it. And thankfully, we walk by faith and not by sight, so we don't necessarily have to understand it completely. We can have faith and know God knows everything. That's not it. Look, point two. God does not change now, it gets into discrepancies as we get into point two and, verse, and point three. You've got it on your handouts there. You'll see kind of a little bit ahead of me here. God does not change. And in fact, what we know is God is a righteous and just judge. The things which he is going to hold us accountable for are the same things that he held people accountable for before. The obedience to his commandments, those commandments are the same then and they are now with regard to us obeying God and his authority. Now, granted, the Old Testament commandments may be different than where we're commanded today to worship God. There's been two different testaments. But the principle is still the same. God is just. God is faithful. He's not going to change those things on us arbitrarily. He's going to make sure we know those things so that we will be able to be held accountable properly. Numbers 23 is a very interesting verse. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said... And will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God's mind, God's personality, God does not change like we as men do. Sometimes, and I don't name any, name any names, of course, this morning, but you know, there are people around us who change their mind frequently. You don't always know what they're saying. I, I can't read people's minds. And husbands, I think you can understand this. If, if you're trying to, to get in a discussion with your wife and you think, okay, you, you never told me that. How was I supposed to know? You, you don't read her mind. And unfortunately, sometimes we change our minds even. We change the intent or our purpose uh, behind a, a certain trip or, or maybe a purpose behind a certain decision we make or, or a goal that we have set for us. Uh, you know, our minds as humans change. Sometimes even the way we feel changes. But God doesn't. God does not change. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, Also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 is a staple point with regard to God changing. If you want to turn to that passage and mark it in your Bible or just highlight it on your handout there. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God doesn't change. 
And as you look forward in this lesson, we'll try and get a little bit more, I think, in depth as to why or how God does not change and and what does this really mean. But just understand here, part of the dilemma in, in deciphering this issue here about whether or not we can change God, this is pretty important, right? Can we change God's mind? Well, it says God does not change. Look at point three, though. Look at point three. I think this is interesting for us to look at here and to try and see. In the past, God has changed or repented. Depending on what version you may have of the the scripture, what translation you might have, there are different verses that talk about God changing his mind or God repenting and doing something different. And we've already referred to a couple of those this morning. You look in and, and Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. I love this passage. Of course, right after this is verse 8 is, is one of the greatest passages about a single individual uh, that you might have in the Bible and being Noah. But Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 are the lead in to the, the great flood that, that God caused to destroy the face of the world. And in verse 5, of course, we know the, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about God knowing everything. <laughs> Here's a verse right here talking about that. He, he knew their thoughts. All they thought was evil. Verses 6 and 7. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and that he was grieved in his heart. Some versions say the the Lord was repentant. The Lord repented. The Lord was sorry. And he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land and from... uh, Man to animals, to creeping things, and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. God repented or changed here with respect to his pleasure with man. Exodus chapter 32, we've already alluded to this and as I started the lesson this morning, but Exodus chapter 32 is a wonderful example uh, of prayer or really of a leader such as Moses standing before and trying to save his people. Verse 14, I've already talked about the fact that first part of chapter 32, they're making this golden calf, this golden image. Moses then in verse 11 Verse 9, by the way, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and I will make you a great nation. Talking to Moses. He's the only one going to stand, is what God's saying here. I'm destroying everybody else. I'm so angry with them right now, I can't take it anymore. I'm going I'm to take care of these people. I love that they're obstinate. That's a great word. Uh, and that's the New American Standard Version translation. I think there's some other words used in other translations describing these people. They're hard-headed. They're obstinate. They're not changing. Their hearts are hardened to the point that nothing impacts them. And God says, I'm going to do away with them. And you see verse 11 through uh, well, 11, 12, 13, Moses speaks up to God. And I love this man. You talk about a leader. You talk about someone putting a nation on their shoulders to try and lift them up to save them. Moses is a great example here. That's why there's so many parallels to Moses and Christ you see in the Bible. Because Moses went forward to God and said, God, remember your promise to Abraham. Remember your promise to Jacob. Remember your promise to these people that they would be brought out. You cannot, you should not destroy them. O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He says in verse 11. 
And what you see here is the impact of his entreaty on God in verse 14. It says, so. I love those two and three letter words, by the way. I don't know if you've ever noticed those in your Bible, but the the translation into the English really gives you some type of perspective. So and but. I love those. Those three words are some great words uh, that you've got in in the scripture to connect the reasoning of God and the rationale behind decision making that you have. Or therefore, that's kind of a longer word, but that's another good one too. But you see here in verse 14, so, so. Because Moses entreated God, because Moses begged for the people to be saved, because Moses said, God, remember your promise to the people, it says, the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10. I alluded to this earlier, of course, the, the horrible, horrible nation uh, there of Nineveh. Uh, the city really is the Assyrian nation, but Nineveh, of course, was the capital. And you look in Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 10, and there we see the impact of the people's decisions. Not necessarily Jonah. Jonah, you have to understand, really wasn't fighting for these people. It's a little different than Moses. It's not the same. But the people, after hearing the word of God preached from Jonah, were pricked in their heart, so to speak. Well, parallel to the New Testament, they were pricked in their heart. And they knew they had to change or they would be destroyed. They had enough faith, enough belief that what, what Jonah had preached to them was going to come true. You see the impact that they said. And in Jonah chapter 3, there, in the, in, before verse 10, you see the impact of the people. They repented. Even their leaders repented. They changed their minds. They, they sat in sackcloth and ashes, showing God they were sorry for what they had done. And in verse 10, it says, when, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Other versions say God repented. So you may see that in your, your scripture there. God changed from doing what he was going to do to the people. Now, fourthly, we're also told in scriptures that faithful prayers can make a difference. I don't have time to get into the the wonderful study of prayer and the impact of prayer today. We've honestly, there's... It's a quarter worth of study looking at the way prayer is mentioned and talked about and, and said that it will influence things and people in the, in the New Testament, uh, let alone the way that prayers and supplications to God in the Old Testament also impacted God and, the, and, and uh, impacted the people uh, there in the history of Israel. You just think about the, the wonderful power of prayer that we see painted in the Bible. We're told in various scriptures, such as like James chapter 5, verse 16, that we are to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Some other versions say the, the, the fervent and effectual prayer of the righteous bringeth about much gain or much good. Uh, prayer according to the scriptures, can have an impact on things around us. Now, again, I don't think we can really truly explain how that happens. 
Uh, from the scriptures, I think you can see that miraculous ideas of, of me or some other human being going out and, and actually miraculously healing somebody just really doesn't exist anymore. There's no need for it. That has passed on. The, the apostles were the only ones that were really able to bestow that gift on others. The apostles obviously are no longer in existence. They, they've died uh, and, and gone on to their uh, eternal reward. You know, you, you don't have that miraculous done by the humans or, or the, the temporal people anymore. I'm being very cautious the way I phrase it because it's hard for me not to say that the answering of prayer by God is also a miracle. Okay, so I mean, I don't want to get into that semantic argument with somebody because obviously if God answers prayers, he's supernatural. So evidently there's some supernatural effect of prayer. So I don't want to get into some argument about that. But you just think about prayer and you think about how we're told that it changes things. The the fervent, the effectual prayer of the righteous will bring about much gain. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through uh, 12. For the one who desires life and to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from from evil and, and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God listens to those who are faithful. Our prayers mean something. According to the scriptures. And there's several other verses that I'm not going to have time to read this morning as you go through. And you'll see uh, these verses in your handouts. If you don't have the handout, let me know. And, and you can do the study on yourself. But what you will see is faithful prayers. Now, obviously, I put faithful there for a reason. Uh, God does not necessarily heed the prayers of the sinful. Uh, you can read several verses that talk about that. And if you are living in sin, I believe the scriptures say God may not heed your prayers. He can. Again, I'm not going to place a limitation on God. But what we see is the faithful prayers can bring about much good. They can make a difference. Now, when you look at these four things and try and put them together, that's where the dilemma comes into play. Do you see the dilemma? God does not change, but yet we're saying prayer can change God. God does not change, but yet in the Bible, God changed. So there becomes a little bit of our discussion and our thought process on how can we reconcile these things. And even a little deeper, if God is all-knowing, what's the point in praying anyways? Right? I mean, what's the point? So you've got this dilemma that you have, so to speak, here with these four points here, of uh, this dilemma of can we, do we have any kind of influence or impact upon God and His mind and the decisions that He makes? And I think as you think about this, this point and look at the reference here, what you'll see is there's somewhat uh, differences of the senses uh, that you have referred to here in the passages of scriptures. There's some figurative language, so to speak, flower language about God and trying to describe God and the actions that he takes in human terms. And again, it's, it's a combination of us trying to differentiate, delineate, distinguish the, the eternal supernatural from the temporal natural we are so caught up sometimes in us understanding the way things are in our lives that it's hard for us to understand and think outside the box so to speak about what it means to be god and be spirit and not physical 
Think about this. And I put an article on the other side for you to read if you want to see here. And it's a great article. It's actually from, a, it says, did Moses really change God's mind? And I'm not going to read this article to you. It's something that I put in there for your edification, for you to be able to take home and study and to look at there. But one, and Wayne Jackson wrote that. And I have a lot of respect for Wayne and, and uh, the, the things that he has, uh, the studies that he's done. And, but one of the things that I do want to read to you and point out to you is there is a term and again, I don't like these big old terms because they're just too much for me. That's why I don't have a PhD in some uh, language or anything. But there's a, there's a term called anthropopathism, uh, which literally means man feelings, which is a, a type of figure of speech, so to speak, where you are ascribing man's feelings, man's emotions to God. It's very similar to a, a term um, with regard to anthropopathism morphism, which would be kind of like man form, literally means man form. And that means that you actually ascribe traits or, or the form of man to God, so to speak. Think about this, the hand of God, a term used in the Bible. God's hand did this. The hand of God did that. Well, does God really have a hand? No. God is not physical. God is spiritual. God is spirit. So the, the, the physical description of God's hand or the face of God, I think that's interesting too. Uh, you know, we haven't seen the face of God. God's face was turned away from Moses as he hid him in the cleft of the rock, right? And so you got the face of God. Does God really have a face? Well, theoretically, I guess you could say he's got some type of formation, some type of thing to understand or to see the way he looks or appears. But again, we're dealing physical versus spiritual here. So you're actually ascribing some of the man's physical t- features, physical forms to a spiritual being that's anthropomorphism. Same thing would kind of describe with regard to the mind of God and changing God's mind. And when you think about that, there's, there's somewhat of a different sense that you can take here. And, and what he said, um, and this is a quote actually from uh, Professor Alan Cole that he quotes in here. Um, and that I think is very interesting that I wanted to read to you. Anthropopathism is a figure here used by which God's activity is explained by analogy in strictly human terms. The meaning is not that God changed his mind, still less that he regretted something that he had intended to do. It means, in biblical language, that he now embarked on a different course of action from that already suggested as a possibility. Owing to some new factor, which is usually mentioned in the context in the Bible, it is clear that God's promises and warnings are always conditional on man's response. This is most clearly set out in Ezekiel 33, 13 through 16. We are not to think of Moses as altering God's purpose toward Israel by his prayer, but as carrying it out. Moses was never more like God than in such moments, for he shared God's mind and loving purpose. You think about this and, and you go into this, the discussion of is this really a change in mind and, or is it really a, a, a different purpose or a change and a different response because of what Moses did or what others have done? It's not really necessarily him changing his mind. And I put a little bit of blurb there on the, the bottom of your handout there also dealing with the fact that a different response does not equal changing God's mind necessarily. You've got to understand that there's a possibility that God's not really changing his mind, but it's just a different response. And the different response is already known to God. And I told you we're going to get deep in this class. I tried to talk to my wife about this and explain to her some of this, and she said, yeah, that's over my head. Um, 
So I pray that I'm not doing anything that's going to be necessarily over your head in the way that I talk and discuss. And that's one reason why I was trying to throw stuff at her to try and say. But think about this. God's mind, if he is all-knowing, already knew what response Moses was going to do and therefore already knew what he was going to do. Is it really changing God's mind just because someone met a condition or did something? Emmy. True. And I don't know if you heard him. Emmy said, you know, imagine Tinley, my daughter, it was in trouble that that she was uh, had something that was she was experiencing. And I prayed to God for help out of that trouble. And it may be that, in fact, my prayers allow me to see or more clearly think about ways to get her out of the trouble and bring her back. And so, in effect, you know, it's not necessarily God changing the mind or changing the circumstances or situations even. It's the fact that he allows things to progress and go through. And ultimately, because his infinite knowledge, he already knows what's going to result. And I think that's very deep. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this isn't deep at all. Because it gets really deep thinking about God's mind because I can't understand God's mind. I'm trying to put it in my terms for me to try and understand uh, really how God functions and how God would react in situations. Yes, God does change my mind. Yeah. Correct. And of course, it goes back to our lesson two weeks ago. How does God communicate with us? Well, that's through his word. And so there's a lot of times that we, through praying, become more dedicated, more focused. We actually seek and search for more answers from God. Well, God talks to us and communicates to to us through his scriptures. We pray to God, we ask him for guidance, we look in the scriptures for his response, we see his response, and those things may not be exactly how we thought it should be, that course of action that we thought it might have occurred, but in fact could be something totally different. Has God changed his mind? No, he hasn't changed his mind necessarily, but he's gone forward and giving us this different response. Matt? It does. And that gets to one of my first points of why we even pray. And y'all look on the back and you'll see it there. Hopefully we'll get to it. I don't think we will. But the first point of prayer is not that we inform God of anything in a prayer. You've got to understand that. God is all-knowing. So we're not telling him anything he doesn't already know in a prayer. You know, God, please be with my family because we are going through this struggle, this struggle, this struggle, and this struggle. Lord, please be with so-and-so. They're undergoing treatments for cancer. We're not informing him of anything new. Why? Because God already knows those things. The, my, the point of prayer is not that we inform God, but it's that we involve God. And I think that's one of the great points and principles of prayer. And why do we pray is to get God involved in life, get involved in the conversation, get involved in us because it shows our dedication, our reliance, it shows our faith, it shows our, our, our humility when it comes before God because we know he's the one that's in charge and control. George. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It is a real is a self-actualization, a self-realization of those things that are needed. More dedicated. Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely do. And that shows a change in mind. And again, I think Carol's the one who said it. It's not that God changes his mind. It's that our mind has changed. It's our philosophy, our actions, our lives are adjusted because we have that realization of who God is and what he can do. Think about Moses. It's not that God changed his mind about destroying the people. I fully believe in the long run, God knew he was not going to destroy the people. But the, the, the adjustment... The dedication of Moses speaks volumes about how it impacted him, how it changed Moses. He stood up there and said, God, don't destroy these people. He had a more actualization as to the, the overall scheme and reasoning behind God. God, you've promised all these things. You've brought him, them out of bondage according to your promises. God, you need to fulfill those things. And it's not that God didn't know that. God knew that. But it's that he allowed Moses to understand it, that he allowed Moses to understand uh, what there was there. Josh? I think the word repented, you know, if we understand it, we understand it from the perspective of sin. And the word repent means to turn away, to turn in a different direction. Um, what actually makes me think of is when Christ was on the cross and God had to turn away, and we had to turn away from sin. Direction. And you hit exactly on the head, Isaiah 46, and I'm not going to turn there today, but look at that. God uses things for his will, for his infinite, his, his purpose. And that's what about God does not change, is his purpose. God's will, and that's another lesson that we want to get into, what is God's will? Because there's a lot of discussion about the use of that term in the scriptures. But the, the, the idea of God's overarching principle and purpose of leading us to salvation, to saving the world, to allow them to see what the gospel of Christ is, that doesn't change. He's going to use everything he can, and we're getting into providence a little bit here, to lead down that road. Yes, sir. Yeah, just 
Correct. Yeah, and, and when I agree, in Genesis chapter 6, when he's talking about there that he was, that he repented, that he was sorry that he had made God, and that he was grieved in his heart, the emotions there are not that, hey, oops, I did the wrong thing, or, you know, I should never have done this, you know, where it was doubting the, the infinite wisdom or the eternal purpose of God, but it's the attribute that God has of things are supposed to be loving. You know, God loves us, and when he sees us making those those bad choices, those bad things, those uh, doing the wrong things. God is repentant because he's remorseful of our choices. He's not really repentant because of his decisions. He's repentant because of our decisions. And we see those things. One of, um, one of Guy on Woods, who is wonderful, and, and there is a, uh, he did a questions and answers volume from his open forum days at Fried Hardeman. Volume two, he answers and talks about uh, Exodus chapter 32, which we already read earlier here. And this is what he says with respect to this. The verses that talk about God changing his mind or repenting, his, his description is that he said, God's decrees are not irrevocable. His will is not absolutely inflexible and his judgments are not arbitrary. On the contrary, his actions exhibit love, concern and pity for man and are designed to deal with him in a way that's commensurate with both justice and mercy. And I think that's kind of what you're driving home at with regard to the attitude of him repenting. The attitude of, of God changing, and it's not necessarily he's changing because it's something bad that he did, but usually it's something bad that we did, that the people did in Noah's days, that the people of Nineveh did. You know, and you see that description and that uh, application there of the changing there. Hey, real quick, Josh, I'm going to get you in just a second. Sorry, brother. The warnings and the promises of God are often conditional, and they depend on actions of those to whom that they apply. Before I move on, Josh, real quick. To imperfect. Right. Yeah, and that's why he's sorry. When, he's, when he looks around and he sees the actions that man has taken, that's why God becomes sorry. That's why he becomes repentant on things. It's not because he's done anything wrong, but it's because we've done things that are wrong. 
If you look in the Bible, the, the, the conditional warnings and promises, we don't have time here but to look at it. But, of course, in Jeremiah, it talks about there that, he's gonna, that God will save the nation if they turn from evil. There's a condition there. And God doesn't necessarily box himself in and say, I'm going to destroy the nation. What he actually looks at and says, you know, here's the overreaching details of everything. Here's the, the big picture that God sees, not necessarily that we see. And if you repent and if you turn... You will be saved. Jeremiah 18 talks about. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 18. There was an implied condition there. And by the way, implied conditions are just as valid as specific uh, conditions that you see there. But the implied condition there, of course, to Abraham was what? If there are 10 righteous, the cities won't be destroyed. God says, I'm going to destroy the cities. Abraham says, oh, don't destroy them. Please don't destroy them. Uh, you know, I'll find, what is it, 50 and then 40 and then 30. I don't remember how it counted down right now off the top of my head. But, yeah, you know, it's all the way down to 10 people. If he can find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, he's not going to destroy those cities, right? It's an implied condition there. If they are there, if they exist, if they are present, those cities will not be destroyed. Uh, and so the warnings and promises of God are often conditional and they depend on actions of those to whom that they would apply. Look at this handout here. Uh, on the far right side, there's an article there talking about, and some of the same points you just brought up, uh, the brother back here in the back, that God's character is unchanged, God's nature is always unchanged, God's purpose is unchanged, and God's promises are always unchanged. Look at those things because we can be assured God does not change. God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God will always be the same. What changes oftentimes are us. So why should we pray? Real quickly here, and you can look on the back of your your, uh, hand out there and see these points real quickly. Why should I pray? Well, I already mentioned the first one. God's prayer, prayer to God does not inform God, but it involves God. It changes us because it involves God in the conversation. And so we end up being changed more so than God ends up being changed. Secondly, prayer does not change God. It changes us. I already mentioned that. Number three, prayer does not get our will done in heaven. It gets God's will done on earth. Think about that deep statement. You know, we want things to be done on earth as God wants it to be done. How do we do that? Well, we are invoking prayer as being a way we communicate with God about our desires, our purposes, our intentions to make sure that those things are carried out. And fourth, prayer is not because God needs us, but it's because we need God. Can we change God? No. God always stays the same. But prayer allows us to be changing, allows those things in our lives to be so much deeper, so much more meaningful in the things that we do today. Sorry we went a little long. I appreciate y'all's kind attention this morning.